I want to uh, I want to ask you a question. How many of you guys, if you could build your dream home, you would build it on a hilltop or you would build it in a draw? We're going to take a poll. Now, if you would if you would build your your dream home in a draw, you know what I mean by draw. It's it's not the tone of our voice that I'm talking about. The draw. It's a draw, you know, it's like a valley or, you know, whatever you call it. Um, but, but how many guys would build your house in a draw? Anybody build your house in a draw? Nobody? Good. <laughs> how many guys would build your house on a hilltop? Yeah, hilltop. You say, well, why is that? Well, I, I, I almost purchased a, a draw one time and I was going to build this house in it, but then I figured out that it flooded. <laughs> Anybody? I mean, you're like, oh, that'd be beautiful. It'd be a beautiful area. And then it rains and it's like flooded. And you're like, Thank the Lord we didn't build our house there. Uh, we just built a couple of tree houses in a draw, and I wished we would not have because we had a big pile of wood. I bought all this wood, two befores, two by twelves, all this stuff, and I was laying it out there, and the draw filled full of water and washed all of our two befores down in the neighbor's, you know, pasture in their creek. So, um, so yeah, I mean, if you built your house in a draw, I mean, you got to worry about what is it going to drain, right? Is it going to, you know, is your house in a flood zone? You know, how are you going to get out of the draw? I mean, when it's wet and muddy, how are you going to get out of that thing? So that's the things to consider there. But on a hilltop, you know, if you think about it, though, the hilltop may be more expensive. And we're, we're kind of renovating our house a little bit right now. And so I'm thinking about all these numbers and writing all these checks to all these people that do work that I, th- I, could, I feel like I could do myself. Anybody? Anybody? Paying somebody? Yeah, yeah. I could plumb, but I hate it. It makes me want to cuss. But anyways, I got to pay all these people. So, you know, but when you think about building on a hilltop, you think that the costs actually probably go up um, if you think about it. You know, you got to make sure that, again, you can drive up the hill to get to your house or not have to slide down the hill if you're on a hill and it's snowy and icy and all that stuff. You got to think about how structurally you got to build a house on a hill, you know, a little more structural because the winds in Oklahoma. I mean, if I built my house on a hill, I'd dang sure make, I, make sure I had trees, right? To block the Oklahoma wind. So you got to think about that. You got to think about your septic system. How's it going to roll down the hill and the water? If your well's at the bottom of the hill, how are you going to pump it to the top of the hill? I mean, you got to think about all those things. But here's the truth. I, I like homes on a hill as well. I like because you can, you, you have better view. Right? You have a better view of all the beautiful you know, landscape and all that stuff. You know your house isn't going to flood. That's a great thing. And with all the rain that we've gotten, again, you know, that's a good thing. Um, but I, I, I use this example. I, I have some friends in Canadian, uh, a guy named Lynn Guthrie. Anybody know Lynn? Yeah, Lynn Guthrie. Um, he, he's, he's a friend of ours, uh, Merle and his wife Marla, who's passed on. But uh, great friends, Craig Guthrie. Um, but I've been out to Lynn's before, and they've weaned calves or weaned yearlings or whatever. And uh, so I got to know him a little bit. And then I got to know his boss. He works for a guy named Randy Bailey. Well, Randy Bailey, if you don't know him, he's a great uh, rancher out there as well. But he owns one of the most beautiful houses on top of a hill. If you're going in Canadian, right before you get, I don't, I, and I, I get, because I've only driven it in the dark about five in the morning a lot of times, but and I'm tired because it's, we're fixing to go work calves. But if you drive and you're right before you get to Canadian, if you look to the right over there, you can see this huge house, a bunch of trees on a hill. It's beautiful. 
Um, you can see it for miles. It's Randy Bailey's house. I've never actually stayed in the main house. I've only stayed in the bunkhouse. <laughs> Lynn Guthrie, uh, again, I'll call him and i say, hey, I've got to be at Pampa at 4 in the morning or 6 in the morning or whatever. And, and he'll say, yeah, just come on out. I'll, I'll let Randy know. And so I stayed in a bunkhouse right there by the main house. And the bunkhouse is nicer than my house. <laughs> and so it was fun. Um, but, but I stayed there, and what I love about it is you can see it for miles. I mean, if I'm going to build a house, and this may be vain of me, but if I'm going to build a house and it's going to be a nice house, I want people to see it. Can I get an amen? Come on, it's not prideful, it's cool, right? I mean, if I'm going to build a house, I want somebody to see it. And, and, and at night, I mean, you go by Randy Bailey's, you can see that light, you know, that house lit up. I mean, it's just a beautiful place, and that's what I love. I want a house off the beaten path that you can't get to, but you can still see. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's the dream that I have. And, and, and I got to thinking, you know, again, that's how, that's how I would want to, to live. Well, here's the, here's the application. I, I believe that I know where Jesus would build his house if he was to build a house. You know where he'd build it? On a hill. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, the scripture tells us that we are to be a house on a hill, a city on a hill. Listen to the scripture in Matthew chapter 5. It says this. It says, it says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the what? You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now, I want to I break this scripture down here in a little bit, and we're going to talk about this today. But here's the thing. Jesus is on a mountainside. And, and a lot of times when he preached or he prayed, guess where he went? Up on a mountain, right? I mean, I've been to Israel. I've been to, you know, um, uh, Mount of Olives. I've climbed the Mount of Olives. There's a, there's, a, there's a mountain there that's called Masada. It's where, you know, all these people got, you know, they got to try to get away from the Romans. And they all committed suicide because they'd rather commit suicide and die for Christ than, you know, die for the Lord than, you know, be killed by the Romans. Anyways, I climbed that whole deal. If you want to look it up on the Internet, it's tall. <laughs> and guess what I did on the way back? I, I got on the gondola <laughs> and I rode the gondola down because it was too much. But it was fun. But anyway, so, you know, again, so Jesus, a lot of times he went up on these mountainsides and that's where he preached. I mean, the sermon that we're talking about in Matthew chapter 5 is actually called the Sermon on the what? Mount. It's Sermon on the Mount. And that's what he's doing. He's talking. And just like Randy Bailey's ranch house, you know, you can see it from the hilltop. We... And this is what Jesus is saying. We are called by God to be a ranch on a hill, to be a church on a hill, to build our lives on a hill so that everyone can see it. We are called to be the light of the world, the light of the world. And we don't hide that. And so here, here's the truth. In, in many circumstances, and I'm going to I'm going to go somewhere, and, and this is just where God's led me, and I'm just going to be honest. But in, in many circumstances, it's becoming more rare for Christians to take a stand because we live in such a politically correct world. I call it sensitiveville. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, we live in a sensitive world, um, and it's getting more and more sensitive. And, and whether you like it or not, that's just the way it is. Well, today, I want to... To preach a, a sermon, a message, and I don't know if it's going to be a series or not, God hadn't told me, but I, I want to preach a message um, entitled, Ranch on a Hill, okay? 
how Christians, there's the subtitle, how Christians are called to live in a politically correct world. <laughs> how you like them apples? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, some of you guys are like, holy crap, my, my preacher's turned into a politician. No, listen, I'm not a politician, and you're not going to get to hear me talk about politicians today. I'm not going to rant on politicians like a lot of people do. But I want to teach you how to live the Christian life in a politically correct world. Now, here, here's the thing. I want to say this first. I believe, and I want to say this, I believe that we have a healthy church. Amen? How many of you guys believe that? Yes, raise your hand. I believe that we have a healthy church. I, I, I believe that we proudly represent Jesus Christ. I believe that we are reaching more unchurched people than I've seen reached in years. We're reaching more people in our church that have never walked through the, the barn doors or the church doors in their life. And I praise God for that. We are seeing lives change. You're going to get to see some people that, that I've prayed for for four years, three or four years, and they've come to know Christ. And we're going to get to see them baptized tonight. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's the most exciting thing that we get to be a part of. And, and, and I see a church that, that we are excited about what we're doing. When you walk in here, hopefully you feel the excitement. And I know that churches go through momentums and we've been through our own momentum swings, but that's church. That's life. But I, I am proud to say that, again, we have God's, I believe we have God's favor on us. I don't know if you feel it, but I believe that we do. We, we help meet the needs of those who need assistance, whether they're our friends or whether they're our enemies. That's what our church is about. And I praise God that we are a part of this church. We are a ranch on a hill. We are who we are in plain sight of everyone around us. And we are not ashamed of it. Amen? Can I get some clapping or something to like, help me preach a little bit more? <laughs> So I, for one, am so thankful to be a part of a church, again, that is an amazing church. But here's the question that I always have. And this is what I always have to ask myself. In a world that we live in now, here's the question that I ask. How can we reach even more people? How can we reach even more I mean, again, we can get complacent. We can come in here and go, wow, we've grown, I mean, by leaps and bounds. I mean, we're going to see all kinds of people say, you know, we're going to, you know, we're, we got $2 million donation. We got all this stuff. But here's the question. How can we reach more people? It's not about how can we build a bigger building? How, how can we get more money? It's about how can we reach more people? And so that's the question that I always ask myself. And depending on which side of the fence that you sit on or stand on, you may think this is a sermon that is politically correct or politically incorrect. And, and so, but, but here's the truth. I know I might not say everything in the right way today. So I'm asking you to forgive me ahead of time, and I'm asking you to show me a little grace. But here's what I've learned. I, I've learned this. God has called me as a pastor to equip people to serve God and to reach more people. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm not a very good preacher. And so here's the truth. You are facing issues every day in the news, in social media, on, you know, in your homes, at school. You are facing issues every day. 
And, 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 and sometimes I believe that the, the church is silent on those issues and not equipping people to know how to reach those people that maybe we disagree with or how to cope in a world or how to even thrive in a world that doesn't agree with our values. And I think it's sad that a lot of preachers are silent. They're silent and their silence is deafening sometimes. And people are grasping at stuff and they're, they're trying to figure out what they believe and the preachers are silent. And so I am called by God to equip you to, to, to serve and to, to know how to do that. Ephesians 4 confirms that. So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to what? What's the word? Equip. Yeah. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so again, I, I would not be a good preacher if I did not share with you the things that I feel God has called me to share with you. Now, in light of the events that are going on in our world um, and, and, and their, their recent events and they're playing out in our world, and they're going to continue to play out in our world on, on things like marriage, things like racism, things like hate and crime and transgender stuff and executions and, you know, shootings and all of that stuff. Here's what I want to say. I want to return to a statement that I made last week, and it is this. I believe that these issues that we are facing are not political issues. They are moral issues. They're moral issues. Yeah. And so you may be thinking, well, Bo's going politic on, on us today. No, listen, I don't believe that these are political issues. I believe that they're moral issues. And here's what I've learned. If I can change a man's soul, then I can change his symptoms. See, what we want to do sometimes is we want to rant about the symptoms of sinful people without being concerned for the sinful person. I'm sick of it. And so here's the deal. We want to focus in on the souls of people and then God will change the symptoms. Do I believe in our politicians? Some of them. Do I believe in a good government and it helps? Sure. But at the end of the day, it's not about the politics that are going on in our world. The things, the laws that are missing aren't going to solve a whole lot of problems. It's the moral laws that are missing. It's the word of God that's missing. And so that's what I, I feel like God is, again, talking to me about. Now, in this world that we live in, I, I feel like Christians, as Christians, we only have two choices. And, it's, and, and here they are. Polit, be politically correct. And you say, well, what is that defined by? Well, again, this is a general um, definition that, that, that I've written. But I believe that sometimes politically correct means that you, are, you have grace without truth. And grace without truth, that stand, it, it can sometimes lead us to compromise on what we believe. But then you have the other side of being politically incorrect, right? And you say, well, what's that mean? Well, it, it can be, in many cases, truth without grace, right? I mean, we just, we've got to be right. We're politically incorrect, but we don't show any grace. And we, are, we, we don't show any grace to the people that actually disagree with us. Well, I believe that there is a, another choice that includes both truth and grace. Truth and grace. And I believe that's what God would, would, would echo as our message today. Well, today I want to share with you a few truths that I believe that God has called us to be and do 
or do in a politically correct world? Number one is this. You ready? Everybody taking notes? <laughs> I always say that every week. Do you guys get offended by that? Then take notes. If you don't get offended, take notes then. Um, it, just, it just encourages me. But anyways, number one is this. How, how, do we live in a political, how do we live as a Christian in a politically correct world? Number one is this. We cannot be silent. I want you to think about that. We cannot be silent. Last week I shared you know, that we are called as Christians to share our faith with those around us. But, but sadly, again, I think that our silence a lot of times is, is, is deafening. We don't, we don't want to do that, but here's the truth. I, I always try to look at what Jesus did because none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect and you're not perfect, so I have to look at you and go, well, what are you doing? That would, I mean, you would disappoint me. But I always look at Jesus and I say, what would Jesus do? What, what did he do? Jesus, here's the truth. Jesus never promised popularity in this world. He never did. And if we're just about a, a church that wants to be popular, I'm, I'm done with that. I don't, I don't care about being popular if it compromises what we say we believe. Does that make sense? So Jesus never promised popularity. He, he did, however, promise the opposite. <laughs> what was that? Persecution. I mean, you think about it. People, you know, people will not like us in some respect. But in Philippians 1.29 says it. It says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but to also what? Suffer for Him. And even, he even goes a little further in the consequences of being ashamed of him. Listen to the scripture, Matthew chapter 8, or Mark chapter 8, I'm sorry. It says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in glory for his Father with the holy angels. You know what he's saying there? He says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of what you say you believe in. You know what else he says? He says, be ready. Jesus says, be ready. Look at 1 Peter 3, 15. It says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an what? An answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know what? I mean, again, I have to try to make this personal. Are you prepared to give an answer? Or do you just stand against things and you don't know why? I mean, if someone was to come up to you and say, what do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? Would you be prepared to give an answer that is not your opinion, but is actually from the word of God? Or would you just go, you know what I've heard? I heard on CNN that they, they did this. I heard, you know, I heard that, you know, from George Stephanopoulos that we should believe this. And Curry told me this. Really? So what about the Word of God? What does the Word of God say about that? Are you ready to give that answer? I mean, again, we can believe what we want to believe about the world, but are we ready to, to, to stand for what we believe? I mean, do you know what you would say if you were asked those questions? Here's the truth. I, I believe that we are in a world that needs answers. And I believe that we are called to speak. I do. You say, well, why? Here's why. Because Scripture tells us to. It tells us to. I mean, as, as I read the Bible, I see that Scripture shows no interest in being popular or politically correct. <laughs> scripture shows no interest. 
um, I, I, I read scripture and, and it never allows itself to adapt or be revised or be censored to align with popular culture. Never does. So, here's what I would say. And here's what I would propose. Where scripture and the culture are at odds, I believe that Christians too must remain counter-cultural. Did you hear that? And some of you guys are going, where's he going with this? I'm not liking this. But listen, where, what I just said was where scripture and culture are at odds, Christians too must remain counter-cultural. But, listen to this. This is the key. I also believe that we must not allow our counter-cultural stance to be anti-cultural. Does that make sense? I mean, because here's the truth. You can can say, you know, that you stand against something, but, but the truth is we are not called to hate the culture. There's a difference. I can stand up for what I believe and still love the culture. God has called us to love the people that are in the culture, but to stand against the things that stand against His Word. Does that make sense? I mean, we are called to, to, you know, by God to oppose the issues that stand against the Bible, but we are also called to love and to reach and to offer grace to the culture itself. Does that make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> but here, and so here's the truth. We cannot be silent and do that. We can't. The Bible is clear that we are not called to be silent. But when sharing with the world, listen to this, when sharing with the world that we're, where many oppose the teachings of Christ, here's number two. And this is what I want you to hear. Here's number two. It's more about how than the what. I want you to get this. Because again, some of you guys are going to be, I'm on fire for the Lord and I'm just going to share with everybody. I'm going to get on my box. I'm going to stand on a corner and I'm just going to shout You know, all these things. Now listen, it's more, when you are trying to reach the culture, it's more about how you do it than what you are actually saying. Does that make sense? You you follow along with me. When it comes to living in in the Christian life in a world that isn't as Christian as it used to be, here's the deal. I believe it is more about how than, than what. And I'll give you some examples uh, in Scripture. 1 Peter three fifteen through 17 says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as, as Lord. We read this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But, do it, listen, do this with what? Gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, your behavior, uh, your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Are you with me? Colossians 4, 6 says this. It says, let every conversation be what? Is it up there? Gracious and, uh, and what? attractive so that, that that you will have the right response for everyone. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 25, it says this, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? 
I mean, again, you can go and you can get in somebody's face and you can slap the Bible over their head. You can try to win them through guilt. You can try to, you know, just share with them the truth and hammer it on them. But I am learning and I've learned throughout my life that 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 guilt never motivates. It doesn't. I mean, I can, I can try to guilt people into coming to church and guilt them into doing things about, you know, getting baptized, getting saved. I can try to do all that stuff, but it never really motivates. If it, if it does motivate, it's motivation for the wrong reasons. And so the truth is, he's called us to speak, but he specifically instructs us how we are to speak. Graciously, gently, patiently, and with respect. With respect, I mean, 1 Peter 2, 17, it says this, Respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. Respect the king. Some of you need to hear this. You need to respect our president. You, I know, you, you don't, you, some of you guys are like, how in the world do you expect me to do that? But you need to do it. You know why? Because the Bible tells you to do it. The Bible tells you to pray for your president. Not that he would come to his demise either. That you would pray blessings on him. You know what I'm saying? I'll tell you, there are a few people that I look up to in this, in this respect because I believe they're getting it right. One of them is a guy named Rick Warren. Anybody ever heard of Rick Warren? Purpose Driven Life, sold millions of copies. Saddleback Church, California. He lives in, he lives in the San Francisco area. Okay? Lots going on in San Francisco. But here's what I've learned. This guy is a great, he, he is so great. He's a preacher, loves Jesus, but he is so great at bridging the gap between those that need Christ and those that have Christ. He's just, a, he's just good at it. And you say, is his life perfect? No, his, his own son committed suicide a few years back. So he understands both sides. He understands a lot of stuff. Great guy, listen to him. Duck Dynasty. I don't know how you feel about them, but I love them. I'm not ashamed of it. You know why? Because I believe that they have shined more light in our world and they've done it with respect. I've never heard anybody talk bad about them. No one. You know why? Even if they don't agree with them, they're still, they're funny and they love people. They love people. I saw an interview the other day about Willie or with Willie and his wife. And they were, they were like, have you ever had anybody just come out and just blanketly, you know, chew you out in person? He says, not once. I can't, I don't understand that. I mean, how does that not happen? You know why it doesn't happen? Because they respect people. They may joke around a little bit and tease about, you know, certain things, but they respect people. And when they walk up to people, they, they actually care about them. I mean, there's another guy named Carl Lentz. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. This guy started a church in New York City. Get a rope. You know what I'm saying? That was back in the, you know, what was that? (laughs) What was it? Pace commercial. Get a rope. But this guy, he started a church in New York City. Guess how many services he does on one Sunday? Six or seven. You know why? Because it's full. You know how many people that he's reached... I mean, he's friends now with Justin Bieber. He's friends now with, you know, all kinds of people that that you would look at and you would think they're so ungodly on the outside. But he's reaching them. You know why? Because he respects them. And he speaks gently to them. He doesn't judge. So, again, you say, well, what's this all about? Well, here's here's a helpful tip 
when sharing your faith with a culture that disagrees with you. Here's what I've learned. Tone matters. I can speak truth in love and, and, and speak it with the wrong tone. Does that make sense? I mean, I can say, I love you, but you're going to die and go to hell. Wrong tone. Right? Tone matters. And you say, well, I shouldn't have to watch my tone. I mean, we should be able to share it like we've got to share it. Nobody, I shouldn't give a flip about what the world says. Well, you ain't going to reach anybody. You know why? Because it matters to people nowadays. Used to, we could chew on people and they'd, get, they'd just bring it. They'd say, okay, now I'm going to change. Now you chew on people and they'll walk away. It matters. Tone matters. Remember this. You, I, I, we live in a world that, you know, when we're trying to reach people, they don't respond to God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. You know what they respond to? God said it, I believe it, now let's talk about it. That's what they respond to. They want to have a conversation. Um, the fact is, here, here's, here's what I've learned. Many unbelievers actually respect Christians that speak out about what they believe more than they respect those that don't. Does that make sense? Uh, I, and their response, and I, I read this just the other day from an atheist, a popular atheist. He, he says this, If you really believe what you say you believe about Jesus being the only way to heaven then you would have to really hate someone not to share with them about Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, that just, I mean, it, it just, it's just kind of, that's kind of weird to think. But it's funny because a non-believer would actually say, you really don't love the world if you don't share the good news of Jesus, if he really is the only way. And so I would, I would say that, Again, I would say that, that, that people actually respect us more when we speak out. But we have to speak out in the right way. I'm learning that many unchurched people, they're, they're fine with having a conversation about your beliefs. They're fine with it. The, the sad part is, it's the Christians that are afraid of the awkwardness. I, I, I mean, anybody with me now? Am I stepping on toes today? Listen, I, I'll give you an example that happened yesterday. We have a guy coming in. He may be here today. I know he's actually at my house working. And that's a whole other story. But, but uh, this guy was pouring countertops in my house. And, and, and he, he finally asked me, he goes, so what do you do? That's, the, that's the, always the question that leads to you know, a spiritual conversation. Because he's like, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a cowboy preacher. We have a, we have a, we have a church in the Woodward Livestock Auction. And, and, and it just opened up a can. I mean, he just started asking questions. And he's like, what do you believe about aliens? I mean, he wanted to go to the aliens. He goes, you know, the other day when I was a kid, you know, I, there was this light and all this stuff. And he just starts telling me this story. And I didn't go, man, that's stupid. What do you think? I mean, that, that's stupid. He asked me if I believed in aliens. And I said, if, if, if God wants to have aliens, then I believe in them. I don't know. Who knows? But we had this conversation. And, and we sat across from the concrete countertop that he just laid in our, in our, in our kitchen. And we started talking about faith. And again, he, 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 he hadn't been to church in five years. Hadn't been to church. And he said, well, last time I went to church, it felt like I was at a cult. And, and I just didn't like it. And I said, well, you know, we, we have a church. We have a church where you can come. You can dress however you want. You can, you know, you don't, you don't feel as awkward, you know, in, in a traditional church and all that stuff. And we just had a conversation. And, and I would try to change. And this is maybe sinful on my part, but I didn't want to push it too hard. And I would try to change maybe the conversation and not be so... In your face. And guess what he would do? 
he'd talk more about it. Yeah, my grandpa, he was a Nazarene preacher. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I feel like you know, the, the, you know, the Mormons, they have it wrong. And he just kept bringing all this stuff up. I went to my room and I, was, I laid down and I, and I was in there just praying. And then he calls me out of my room and he says, I, you know, here's something else I have. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, again, we are, I feel like Christians sometimes are more afraid of the awkwardness than the people that don't know Christ. They're searching for answers. And we've got them. And so listen, you've got to learn, and we've got to learn, that we are called to not be silent, but it's more about how than what. Does that make sense? It, actually, it should be equal. You, you should know what, but you should deliver it how Jesus wants you to. Number three is this, and I'm done. You ready? We can't always, here's, here's it's a long point. We can't always choose what we're handed but we can choose what we hand back. You, you're not going to be able to choose what you're handed in life. I mean, there is negativity all around. Watch the news. Go to church, some churches. Go, you, know, from, you can get you know, negativity. You can get, you know, it, again, stuff negative in your mind from your parents, from your grandparents. You can get it handed down to, from all kinds of people. You cannot control that. But you can control what you hand back. I'll give you some examples. Uh, Maybe you were handed hate for for a color of people. Maybe you were handed hate for a white person. Maybe you were handed hate for a Mexican. Maybe you were handed hate for the black people. Listen, you don't have to hand that back. Maybe, Maybe you've been ridiculed by those that oppose your Christian values. Here, listen to this. You don't have to lash back. Maybe you were handed some judgments from church people. Listen, you don't have to judge back. You cannot control what you are handed, but you can control what you hand back. Matthew 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You notice this verse doesn't say, don't do. It, you know, because people will say, well, I don't, I don't say anything bad to the people that oppose me. I don't, I don't say anything bad on Facebook to those that don't agree with me. I'm not a jerk to them. I don't talk bad about them. Well, the verse doesn't say, don't do. It says, do. Do unto them as you would have them to do unto you. I mean, the verse says we are called to do well to all. We are, we are called to do kind things to those who aren't kind to us. We are called to serve those who oppose us. We are called to forgive them when they hurt us. I'll, I'll give you one of the greatest examples of this, and I'm done. The Amish people. Remember when the Amish people, the, the, the guy came in and shot like a bunch of the little kids in a schoolhouse they were having school? What that almost people? What did that almost community do? They went to the murderer's house. They they went to the murderer's you know wife and they they asked her to you know forgive them or to if they could help them. They served her. They invited her to all the funerals. They you know met with her. They you know just consoled her. They told her that she, they forgave her husband for what he did. I mean they pursued the killers. They pursued the people. Again, that, that killed their own children. 
and they forgave them. They did unto others. They didn't just stand back and go, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to do anything. They actually did something. Listen, we are called to do the same thing. We are called to be a ranch on a hill. We cannot be silent. It's more about how than what. And we cannot choose what we are handed, but we can choose what we hand back. And so that's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to live. And again, I could go on and on. I, could, I might have two or three other points next week. But that's how we live as Christians in a politically correct world. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I've got a question, you know, a couple of questions for you. Maybe, again, maybe you're a Christian. Here's my, here's my question for you, first of all. Are, are you living, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but are you living a counter-cultural life? We, we've always encouraged people at our church to, to, that it's okay to, 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 to live in the culture, to be in the world. But it's not okay to be of the world, to live like the world. We, we've always said that we believe that God has called us to live radically different than the world does. That means in our beliefs, that means in our actions, that means in our words, we are not to to act like the world, we are to act like Christ. And so are you living a countercultural life? And again, but, but here's, the, here's the more important question. Are you guilty of being anti-cultural? I mean, again, has so much of the stuff that's going on in the world caused you to hate the world? I would argue that God hates that more then probably us being countercultural or not being countercultural is when we oppose the world so much that we hate the world. He didn't come and hate the world. He loved the world. And so are you anti-cultural? Has the negativity taken over your heart, taken over your mind, taken over your, your, your words? I mean, is all that stuff, I mean, are you just a negative person about the world and, and you, you don't see any light in any of this? And you could care less about what happens to those people. Here's the prayer that maybe you need to make today, the commitment that you need to make. Lord, help me to oppose the things that you want me to oppose. But help me to love and to reach those who oppose me. Help me to not be silent. But when I speak, help me to be gentle and respectful. Lord, help me to take the negative that I've been handed and not hand it back. Listen, this is what it looks like to be the light of the world. This is what I believe that God has called us to live like. And so maybe you need to confess your sin to God and you need to say, okay, I've been anti-culture. I've hated certain people, certain, you know, things, you know, or people that have done things wrong or are doing things wrong. I've stood and, and you know, degraded them. And, and, and I need to confess that. Maybe you need to do that right there in your chair. Maybe you need to ask God to help you to love the culture, the people 
of the culture. Maybe you're here today and you've never experienced the saving grace of Jesus. You feel like maybe you're not good enough. And maybe, maybe again, you're the minority and, and you've lived a hard life or, you know, you've, you've done things that, you know, again, oppose the Bible. Listen, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. But there is a Savior that can save us from our sins. And His name is Jesus Christ. And He wants to come and live inside of you today. He wants to forgive you of your sin so that you can have the light of the world inside of you and the light of Jesus. And so maybe you're here today and you need to know Christ. And you say, well, Bo, how do I do that? How do I come to know Him? How do I give Him my life? Listen, the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So maybe in your chair right there, you just need to say, Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe that you died on a cross so that I could be forgiven. And I'm asking for your forgiveness of my sin. Please come into my life and save me. Listen, maybe you just prayed that for the first time. We want to rejoice with you. We want to celebrate that with you. So here's all we ask you to do. We don't ask you to come to the front. We're not going to embarrass anybody, but we want you to maybe fill out that orange card, that that white card on your chair. Fill it out. Place it in one of these yellow buckets and let us celebrate with you. Let us give you resources that will help you grow and help you to be the light of this world. You say, I don't have a card. Well, just text your name to the number on the screen as you leave today, and we will contact you about your decision. It's that simple. We want to help. We want to walk alongside of you. We want to to help you grow in your new relationship with Christ. So let us do that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a closing word of prayer. If you need prayer or if you have questions maybe about what we've talked about, I would love to discuss the things that we've talked about. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just fill out that orange card. Write your question maybe on that card. Put it in one of these yellow buckets and we will contact you and help you find the answers to your questions. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share truth with grace. I thank you for the people in here that are living a life that that shines bright for you. I thank you for the people that are outside of this room that you have called us to reach. And I pray that we would reach into the dark world that we live in and we would pull them out and we would rescue them from the things that have entangled them. And I pray that you would give us mercy in our our hearts, love in our hearts, that you would give us grace in our hearts. And even to those that are our enemies of, of your word, that we would show them love, that we would show them forgiveness and that we would respect them even in spite of our differences. Why? so that you can be glorified. So Lord, help us to do that as a church. And I thank you for what you've done already and what you're going to continue to do. It's in your holy name I pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. Have a great day. We'll see you. Yeah, we'll see you tonight. Thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Bo Haig at Thousand Hills Ranch Church in Woodward, Oklahoma. Please join us next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Woodward Livestock Auction. Over 40 years ago.
maiden name was Music Till she met that Jackson boy They married young like folks did then Not a penny to their name They believed the one you vowed to love Should always stay the same 